Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. everybody, welcome to One More Round with Josh Norris. I'm excited to have Jack O'Hara with me today. Hey, if you like what you see, make sure you like, subscribe, put a comment in. Um, so just a quick background, uh, Jack is the host of The O Show with Jack O'Hara, play-by-play broadcaster for ESPN, writer, actor, amateur stand-up comedian. Welcome, Jack. Amateur. Emphasis on amateur hey, you stand-up wrote your own bio. You wrote your own bio. Yeah, I guess so. School, so where have you done uh, some of your uh, comedian and stand-up stuff? So Zach and I, who's actually behind the camera today, doing work for you on this phenomenal podcast, uh, we go to the Gold Margarita on Tuesday nights, open mic night. For anybody that's interested, it's Eric Bernal's uh, industry stand-up night that he does every Tuesday. Uh, just booked a gig at Tempe Improv on April 14th, Sweet. too. I actually need like 10 people to show up, so I think I got about one so far. So I need nine more people to show up for anybody that wants to come see me perform. Uh, kind of need it or else they don't let me. Nice they time. Go up there. Uh, 7 p.m. Okay. April 14th is the date. Tempe Improv, 7 p.m., be there or else I can't do my job, you know? That'd be a bummer. Count me in. I'll be a ringer for you. I need eight more people to show up on April 14th at 7 p.m. or else I can't do it. So, we, thank you. That's how we do things. Thank right? you. So you had me on your show last week. That was, that was super fun. It was a blast. Fun. The first time I have ever <clears throat> done an IV in the middle of an interview. Yeah. Yeah. And what did you, uh, how was your IV experience? It was great. I was able to taste the vitamins in as I was talking. Isn't that strange? Which is something I've never experienced before at any point in my life. I think I told you the only other time I had an IV in me is when I had like severe heart palpitations when I was like 11 mm-hmm. and I had to go to the hospital. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. yeah. And then you like blew up your entire vein doing it, which I is did. hilarious. Yeah, that story um, was terrible. I, I literally <laughs> almost passed out, ears ringing the first time I had one and how I ever got in the business after that, Yeah, you know, Lord knows. But so it's good. So yeah, it was, it was fun and uh, I love your setup. It was weird being on the opposite side of that setup. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, when you announced episode 499 i had no idea how many you had done yeah but that's huge and then 500 was magic johnson yeah, he had to follow this guy up not an easy task yeah so what was it like interviewing magic johnson magic johnson out of all the people i've talked to like maybe zach like you could attest probably the biggest celebrity i've probably had on like i've had a lot of cool interactions with a lot of cool people some like public figure-esque people but like he was probably like the first legit celebrity type person I had on, probably one of the nicer human beings I've met for everything that he's accomplished. Yeah. Five-time NBA champ, executive, owner, VP of operations for both the Lakers back in the day and now with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Like, just down-to-earth guy. You know, not eccentric, like, just hard-working individual. And, it, and it's paid off for him. So I think getting the chance to talk to him and him treating me on the same level as him, just with the amount of respect that I heard in the tone of his voice, mm-hmm. was awesome. Like, it was a great conversation. Just asked him a bunch of curious questions that I had that, like, I wasn't going to fire or hold back on, you know? Like, he was... He was all for it, which is great. Because even the publicist was just like, Magic, we got to wrap this up. Like, he, you could tell he was actually interested in talking to someone. That's awesome. Yeah, you're a good interviewer. I've watched a bunch of your episodes. I, I always like the one you and uh, Zach do, uh, which is fun. Where you it's guys weird. That do one doesn't betting. get great ratings. No, it should. I mean, you guys are talking about betting. I, we'll blame Zach on that. Yeah. No, it, that's it, what it, I was going towards. <laughs> it's Zach's fault. Uh, um, but, yeah, it's fun because then you guys talk about the bets for the week, uh, who you're liking right now in the NCAA. Turn it. 
with everybody out, all the ones you I know, out. right? I had Kentucky and Baylor in my final four. Uh, I got a lot of friends who go to St. Peter's out in Jersey. I'm originally from New Jersey, so Peacock Nation. It is what it is. They're going to lose. Did they lose last night? Are they out? Did they play in the Sweet 16? I can't remember. Uh, I nobody remember cares. Duke it's it's St. Peter's. I'm going with Duke, too. Just because it's Coach K's last, last hurrah. It's just yeah. swan song. Like, it'd be cool. You rarely see something like that happen. Like Derek Jeter's final game. Like Derek Jeter-esque base hit the other way into right field for a walk-off. Like he went out like as a movie star, basically. Yep. You never see that. Tom Brady's going to try to do it this year with a return to the Bucks after retiring for like three weeks. Mm -hmm. But other than that, you know, there's Ray Lewis, I guess, retired as a Super Bowl champion. Just off the top of my head, like Coach K for the amount of – success that he's had in his career would be cool to see him go out on a high note i would like that too i mean i was rooting for u of a and then last night they got absolutely demolished yeah uh which was really sad to see so my only hope is out so now yeah i'm a coach k fan so duke i like i like that pick it's a good pick yeah it's yeah. a great pick yeah but speaking of uh, uh tom brady let's let's just go over that the man retired and three weeks later he comes and unretires i mean uh, what do you what do you think of this? I honestly, it was probably the first time I actually received a notification on my phone from like ESPN or any news outlet where I was like, yeah, you know, like I didn't really have it like any reaction to it because I'm like that, there was like a 99% chance that this was gonna happen anyway. Mm -hmm. Like the guy is so just competitively driven that I feel like he just sat down and realized like I don't have to train right now. Like camp's gonna start back up in a few months. I'm not doing anything. And he still had that tick in his head, that little voice in his head saying, like, go, go, go. I'm not stunned. And the way he went out, too, like being down 28-3 to again to the Los Angeles Rams, able to make a big comeback in that game in the divisional round, and then go out a hard luck loser, unfortunately. Like, that probably didn't, you know, that probably left a sour taste in his mouth. Like, he's coming back, and I, I totally see him, like, in that Derek Jeter, Ray Lewis-esque of coming back, winning a Super Bowl, and then hanging it up. Well, I'm sure you saw the stat where it was like, Lose a lose one year, win a Super Bowl. Lose one year, win a Super Bowl. And it was it's been like that for almost like the last decade and a half. He just lost one, won one year previous. I mean, trends are what they are. So I think there's good money to to bet on Tampa Bay Buccaneers before the season starts. I know, and you wouldn't have said that three weeks ago because as soon as they lost Tom Brady, they were yeah. back on the island of irrelevancy, as I like to say. Like they were not they were not going to compete at all. Absolutely. So you do uh, broadcast for ESPN. I do. Awesome. I've done a few broadcasts for ESPN. So I was able to do play-by-play uh, -play commentary in college. The three of us working together at uh, Grand Canyon University. Cool. Did baseball, softball, volleyball, soccer, basketball, you name it. Tried to get into everything, really. And uh, our boss, Al Porteous, who actually hooked me up. So thank you, Al. He um, uh, was a producer for the athletics program at GCU. But prior to that, was a producer for Fox Sports Arizona for nearly 20 years working with the Diamondbacks and the Coyotes. And, um, you know, the opportunity came knocking. They needed some freelance work over at GCU, some work at ASU coming up too. Uh, he gave me a call, and that was that. So for over the past two months or so, I've been doing games for both ESPN3 and ESPN+. And it's been awesome getting to work with so many different individuals. Like, there's a lot of people in your ear. Like, there's the producer that you work with, whether it be at the college or at the school. Then you also got a producer back in Stanford, Connecticut that's also in your ear, mm -hmm. which is definitely something different that I didn't get to experience in college. But 
all in all, great experiences, especially because I'm still a young kid trying to figure this out, just, mm -hmm. you know, throwing myself up against the wall and hoping I stick somewhere. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it's a blast. So what is that like, like having yeah, headphones on, people talking to you, trying to keep your thoughts? Is it is it hard to oh, do that? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's such a way more difficult job than most people think it is. Like, you have all those Twitter trolls, like, you know, basically berating a Joe Buck or an Al Michaels or whatever just for like something that they disagree with. Like you have no idea how difficult that this job is. Mm -hmm. You know, you have so many people, like I said, multiple producers in your ear. You got camera people next to you. You got the, uh, the PR team that you sit next to in the booth telling you that you suck because you mispronounced a name or two, you know? It's difficult. Yeah. And some some of these PR people are not very nice people and you just gotta deal with all of it and keep your composure and just focus on the game because you know there's an X amount of people listening to only you when you're listening to 10 other people in your ear. So you gotta stay composed, you can't let it get to you and just focus on what you did on top of all the prep work that you did before because if you don't do that prep work, you got all these people screaming in your ear and you have no idea what the hell you're gonna say. Wow. Yeah, it seems like it'd be very difficult. Like I've never thought about it, but like when Al Michaels is up there yeah. and they're doing Sunday night football and he's probably got seven different people. Collinsworth is like right there yeah. yapping in his ear, like how he stays composed and continues to, you know, just do a, a great job commentating, you know, on the game and everything. Uh, I, I think Joe Buck gets a hard time. I really do. I like Joe Buck. I, what are your thoughts on him? I think he's the greatest broadcaster of this generation. Maybe of any generation, really. I mean, you look back at, like, the Vin Scullys of the world, the Dick Vitells, you know. like mm -hmm. I think Joe Buck has been arguably the most consistent and successful broadcaster that there is, considering he does every big game in every big series. World Series every year, Super Bowl every year, uh, all the PGA tours. Like, he does all the big events, yeah. and they bring him in for a reason. He's the most professional. He's obviously one of the more easy guys to work with. Mm -hmm. You know, if you ever if you have ever read his book, Lucky Bastard, that he came out with, you know, it gives a great insight as to how Jack Buck, his father, you know, like you know, being around his dad, who was arguably one of the greats in his own time, uh, kind of showed him the ropes early on, and he was able to absorb all that information and kind of pick people's brains at an early age to get into it. A lot of people say he's only there because of Jack Buck. Maybe so. Maybe he got the opportunity. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't have stayed there very long if he shat the bed. Like, he wouldn't have been there if he wasn't A-plus caliber. Right. And that's what Joe Buck is at the end of the day. And everybody, like Troy Aikman, loves working with him. John Smoltz loves working with him. You know, like, I think Joe Buck will be around for years to come to just inked a record deal for a broadcaster with ESPN, him and Troy Aikman jumping ship from Fox Sports to ESPN. That was breaking. And news. and Joe Buck's been with Fox Sports forever. Yeah. Twenty plus years. Yeah. You know, Thirty plus years even. And now he's gonna go to ESPN for that big deal. So congrats to Joe Buck on that. But I think he's arguably the greatest broadcaster alive today. So what does it take to be a broadcaster? I mean, what are the attributes that make a great one? And why did you get involved in it? I got involved in it. I mean, when I was five years old, growing up, um, watching New York Yankee games, Michael Kay with the uh, Yes Network, immediately was hooked. I'm like, that's what I want to do. Because I knew I wasn't ever going to be good enough to play. Uh, loved playing baseball growing up, but it got to a point where I'm like, I love talking about it. I love the storytelling aspect to it. Like, I'd go to games growing up all the time. Like, I'd go to, like, 30, 40 Yankee games a year and immediately journal about them afterwards, just write, like, articles about the game and about my experience. Mm -hmm. And I, I've done that since I was five years old. Still do it today, you know? Um, and I think, I don't know how that came about. I don't know why 
that sparked my interest right away, but I'm glad it did because I've been able to carry that passion since I was five years old, 18 years later now at 23, still going and pushing through, you know, 500 plus episodes with the podcast, done over a thousand play-by-play broadcasts at this point with multiple different networks. You know, you get to meet people, learn their stories, which is interesting, and they all mold together too, which is kind of like the the spice and the spark of life almost. Like everybody has their own niches, everybody has their own stories, and when they come together in the right time, when timing matches up, I think it's it's a beautiful thing because, you know, like you're where you're supposed to be at all those given points, you know, through all the trials, the tribulations, the the upsets, the darkness, you know, the dark times, the bright times, like the great accomplishments that you have, like it all comes together and that's your story. It's almost like writing your own book, right? So mm-hmm. I think that's where that passion comes for me is getting to be able to tell an audience a story during a game or a story on a player uh, pre-game or during a game. And, you know, like, because there, there's games where it's like, oh, in baseball, it's 11 to 2 in the third inning, and you got to talk about stories or else you're going to bore yourself and bore the <laughs> audience, right? Yeah. But then there's games where it's like you're down three runs in the bottom of the ninth, someone hits a walk-off grand slam. Like, how can you not be romantic about that? Like, yeah. that that's awesome. You know, and that really sets my soul on fire. So I think ever since I grew up watching games, again, like on the Yes Network with Michael Kay, Paul O'Neill doing games, David Cohn, watching New York Yankee baseball, that's really what got me into it. And it's kind of evolved into a totally different thing, you know, having like sales experiences or getting to start this podcast, you know, it's... I think it all goes back to storytelling for me. I really enjoy getting to know people. I really enjoy getting to tell stories and create things. Yeah, you know, it's uh, interesting because I think that is one of the most important things for a broadcaster, storytelling. So I read a a book recently, my friend Lisa recommended, by Jim Gray. And I forget the title, but literally all he does is tell stories. And he's been a broadcaster for 30 plus years. That's friends with Tom Brady, and he tells all the stories about these great people that he's met, Muhammad Ali, and when he was interviewing him, and he these such engaging stories. I mean, the book just like flew by. Right. Oh, yeah. And uh, so there's something to that. So you, you've had a podcast that's 500. Like, you're in big boy status now, like 500 episodes. Most people don't make it past 10. Yeah. We're on episode 7, so hopefully. No, 8, <laughs> so hopefully. But, uh, Can't wait to be back for 800. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, so, but 500, what has it taken to do that? Uh, discipline. And that's really the only thing because it took a long time to monetize, like literally like three and a half years. You know, like I did it as a passion project to start. Started doing it. We have a bar in our basement in New Jersey at my parents' house. That was episode one and then did it in my college dorm room for so many years. I literally did it with my phone, like the voice memo app on my phone. I, or maybe on my iPad, I would use my phone to make the calls for the guests, mm-hmm. and then I used my iPad for the voice memo app to record the podcast. Didn't know how to edit, didn't know how to do anything, um, and just put out episodes raw. So like, if you go back to the first 50 episodes, they are raw. There's air ventilation in the background, there's long awkward pauses, there's a lot of ums. Like, literally, I learned how to talk to people through this podcast. It's not just like, oh, well, yeah, it was like a job and it's worked out well. You know, I, I've grown as a person doing this, which is, I think, the coolest thing for at least me yeah. looking back at it. Were you more introverted before? Oh, yeah. You couldn't get two words out of me growing up. Like, my parents always say all the time, like, I can't believe he's doing what he's doing because literally, it's just like, Jack, how was your day? Good. You want to talk about it? No. And immediately go to my room. Like I would, I wouldn't yeah. say anything to anybody. And now you can't shut me up. Sometimes, you know, I love it that much. 
And that well, and that's the great skill of interviewing and just holding a conversation. I mean, it's almost invaluable because you can use it in your career and sales and marketing. You can use it, um, you know, obviously in your personal life with friends, yeah. family, you know, spouse. And it's like, it's almost like you got that skill in 500 episodes and it helped change your personality a little bit. I mean, it's cool because it's not just like, it started out like as a hobby because it's like, okay, this is going to be great for my resume. I could start it up myself. Like I don't have to apply to do this. But at the same time, it kind of morphed more from like, a sports background to just about anything, you know, especially as I've aged throughout the years. Like now I'm at a point in my life where, you know, I got to pay my bills, you know, you know, you got utilities, you got rent, you got whatever, mm -hmm. whatever you got to do. Like, okay, I'm going to start talking to a lot more successful entrepreneurs, see what experiences they had at a young age. Cause it's not easy for anybody making money early on. Right. No. We talked about that on our show. I mean, I've talked about it with a lot of business, like people, like it's tough, you know, like you gotta, you gotta stay, you know, humble. You gotta, you, you have to have grit in order to make it as an entrepreneur because it never gets easier. You know, like the passion yeah. might be easier, but it's not going to get easier because the more people you work with, the more uh, uh, obstacles there's going to be, the more hard times there's going to be, you know, like. That's it. Well, and making money is all about building momentum. And usually it's building momentum in a few areas. One, relationships in your life uh, that, you know, you're making money with in a business sense. Uh, two, looking for opportunities and then taking that opportunity and building upon it jumping to another one and then you know sometimes you get getting lucky but the more you work the luckier you get and I believe that so you know yeah when you're young I remember when I was 23 it's a long time ago it was 15 years yeah. ago and I was network marketing I was the field marketing director of a pretty large health club uh, chain out here and you know I felt like I was doing pretty good but it was really hard to get that job and then to run my business on the side and but had I not worked as hard as I did, I wouldn't have had the later success at some of the other companies. So it's it's fun, you know. Just enjoy no, it's the like process. when hard work meets opportunity, that's luck, right? Yeah, exactly. Is, is that the equation? Hard work, hard luck plus opportunity meets, or hard work plus opportunity equals luck? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, if you work hard, opportunities will start to gravitate towards you. And I'm a big believer. Yeah. In that. And once you like meet one good person, you start a relationship as far as friendship, you know, more hands you shake, more money you make. Like we were talking about Bradley on right. the podcast. And then it just, but it's that momentum because then that one relationship could turn into 20. And then you've got a customer base or you got a new opportunity with a new commentating gig. And it's just, it's fun to watch it unfold looking backwards. Sometimes it's hard right. to see during, right? Yep. You know, like you're what eight episodes in you said now, like it's not going to happen overnight. Some nope. of these things, like when I first, like I wasn't even thinking money when I started it, I was 18, you know, and even in college when I was doing, it, I was getting an opportunity to, to interview a lot bigger names too. And it was just fun to see it grow. You know, like it wasn't just a resume thing now, like this is like the thing on my resume, like this mm -hmm. is what I want to be known for. And it wasn't literally until I, you know, interviewed Dave Pratt, uh, who, you know, was gracious enough to let us uh, use his studio over the past year now at Star Worldwide Networks in Scottsdale by Fashion Square, where I actually learned how to sell sponsorships, you know, and actually find ways to monetize. Thanks to Evan Snyder with Mayweather Boxing and Fitness, too. They're our big one, like right out of the gate, was able to meet him and hit it off with him. We have a great uh, working business relationship, but it's literally been in like the last year where I've really learned like, oh, like I can really make good money if I continue to do this. 
at a high level. It's not going to happen overnight. It hasn't happened overnight. There are still very difficult um, days doing this. Um, but I'm hoping in the long run I can look back and, like, like you said, like right now it could be difficult, but I'm hoping a few years down the line I could look back and be like, I, I'm thankful I went through all of that because it got me here. Yep, absolutely. I mean, wherever there's an audience, there's opportunity. Yeah. You've grown a good audience. Like, you know, you, you have good downloads. You got good views on your, uh, your videos that you do uh, of the podcast. And it's funny you mentioned Dave. I've always liked Dave. I used yeah. to listen to him when I was, you know, five, six years old on KUPD back in the day. And uh, I, the mayor, you know, and yep. I got a chance to meet him about five, four years ago now. He had done a talk at a little event that I was at. And I'm like, gosh, dang, man, Dave and Josh have been listening to you since I was, yeah. you know, yay tall. And, and he was just the nicest dude. And he invited me to Star Worldwide. Um, I actually was on that network for a little while, and he was just always gracious, and um, and he could sell, and I and I noticed that like he was really good with sponsorships. He had a lot of relationships he'd been uh, working with for years, like Trigger. He's been working yeah. with Trigger for I don't know, I think thirty plus years. Uh, yeah, he's, his book. I don't know if you read it, but Beyond the Mic, it's really good. And he's got a ton of great little nuggets too. Like in his his life, the things that he's been able to experience, not just like on the air, being a successful Hall of Fame radio broadcast host, you know, beat cancer, you know, great family man. I don't think there's anything more in life he cares about more than his kids, nope. from what I've seen too. Yeah. You know, getting to interact um, with two of his sons, both um, Sammy and Kyle, who are starting their own business too, the Pratt brothers. Uh, his daughter Maddie, and then his oldest son uh, David, Dave Jr., is a drummer in a band out in Los Angeles, which is actually really cool. So it's cool getting to see like they they obviously grew up with someone who who forced them right into it, mm -hmm. and they're gonna have big benefits later on in life because of it. Yeah, it's one of the he's one of those people where I look at and I'm like, I want my life to look back and be like him as far as like the impact he had yeah. on his family and his community and and all that. So. Pretty cool. So what's uh, what's on the horizon for the O'Hara show? Oh, just so many more things. Hopefully Zach and I can continue shooting the shit and just me picking on him every single week, which I love to do. It's a great hobby. You know, things get stressful in life, Josh, so it's good to take out your anger on someone. It's like the chain of screaming or like the pyramid of screaming, right? And I get to take out all that on Zach, but it's cool. You know, you get paid to do it, so... Yeah. Why not? Absolutely. Take advantage of it. Other than that, you know, hopefully get some more broadcasts under my belt and just continue to keep growing, really. It's all about the repetitions and what I do. Um, you know, uh, just got my insurance license too, going to sell insurance to make a little bit more money. Because, like, again, at our age, like, it's great growing. And hopefully we can look back on this and be like, I'm glad we killed it because now we're doing what we love. But still in the early stages, you know, you got to find ways to pay your bills, doing other stuff too. So I'm mixing and matching. Just got a gig in solar too, nice. which is which is fun. I'm I'm very um, intrigued about all of the different possibilities on how to not only create relationships but also monetize things. So again, I'm just throwing myself up against the wall and hoping I stick somewhere. Yeah, that's smart. And at this age. Uh, you can take more of an aggressive stance on things because if you fail, it's all right. You just get back up and you do it. If you're later in life, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, it's harder to take those aggressive stances um, or to take those risks. But, man, young, take as many risks as you possibly can. You'll have something that'll hit, and you'll be like, right. boom. You know, can't be afraid to fail, man. You can't. Like, failure is inevitable. I feel like a lot of kids my age are just too afraid to fail. Like, I fail every single day. Like, every single, like, I encourage it almost. Yeah. You got to do it with a smile, too. Like, it's only going to make you better at the end of the day. 
well, the more you fail, the more you learn. And it's not saying that you can't you know, read a book and try to learn from somebody else's experience. That's always a good way to do it. But quite honestly, most of what I've learned in my life has not been from what somebody told yeah. me. It's been, oh, that did not work out. That was a complete failure. I've had multiple businesses that just didn't work. And what I took from each one of them is, here's why this didn't work. Here's what I should have paid on attention with this and marketing, all that stuff. So, yeah, no, fail forward. I mean, I totally agree in the sense that you should read. Like, I try to read two books a month. Mm -hmm. Probably want to do more as I get older, too, because it keeps your brain sharp. And there's so many great little nuggets. Like, Brad Lee's book is all about, like, here are ways to succeed and go around the wrong things that I did so yeah. you don't have to, basically. Yep. Yeah. Which, at the end of the day, I mean, he's a businessman. The more people that, you know, take that advice and work with him, he's going to make more money along the way. But at the same time, like, you're helping thousands of people along the way. He just started his own uh, insurance firm, uh, Real Financial, where he wants people to be making tons of money. You know, like, if you're financially free, you, you could do whatever you want. On top of that, you could help people out, too. Absolutely. Well, and that's the thing. The bigger your influence, the more money you make, well, the more money you can, or more people you can help too. It's not just about you, and that's what's great about being successful in any industry is what you can do for other people. And, and that's, that's what's going to keep you going too. Because if you're just working like a normal nine to five and going home and just drinking and being like, oh, I'm exhausted, and you want to take a nap, like you're not growing. No, no, you're not. You know, are you really becoming your best self? You know, at that point. No, no, you're not. So that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, how would somebody contact you about the insurance stuff? Uh, the insurance stuff, uh, People First, David Carpenter, you can go to peoplefirst.com. We're actually based out here in Tempe. Um, and as soon as you go to the website, really, you could actually apply for a job. You know, like they're taking a lot of people. If you're passionate, you're motivated, you're young, you're hungry, you're looking to make a little extra money on the side financially, too. Like if you're looking to help people, first and foremost, though, uh, peoplefirst.com is where you want to go. AIL, American Income Life Insurance. Uh, they've been great. A ton of great guys. Uh, Talant Bain, who's been a great mentor to mine so far. And then David Carpenter is the guy you want to reach out to, too, at David Carpenter on all social media platforms. Awesome. And uh, are there any books you would recommend to somebody who's young in their career trying to uh, you know, leapfrog and grow a little bit faster that you've been impacted by? There are, a t I, I would say, all the John C. Maxwell books, honestly. That guy is oh. intelligent. He is. He's very... been through a lot in his life, too, and he's come out the other side as one of the more successful businessmen of all time. Mm -hmm. uh, David Meltzer, I think, is another great guy um, who went bankrupt twice, made millions, went bankrupt twice. You know, he, he made the same mistake twice and overcame it again, and now he's going around the world with his podcasts and his books, um, showing people how to do things the right way. Uh, Jordan Belford, The Way of the Wolf, you know, say what you want about him. I got the chance to interview him a few years back. He, he is a very intelligent guy and knows how to monetize anything. He knows how to sell anything. He does. Which is, like, if you know how to sell, if you have the ability to sell yourself or sell a product to anybody, even if they're not interested, you could do whatever the hell you want. Absolutely. No, if you can uh, have more confidence in something than, and you can influence people, that is a skill that will pay your any lifestyle you want. I mean, selling is all just about transmitting confidence to somebody else and influencing them to see things your way and how it benefits them. And that's, yeah. that's all sales is. And I don't want to make it seem like, you know, like life's all about money because it's not. 
but you know, like the more money you have, like we said, the more opportunity you have to do things you want to do, the more opportunity you have to help other people out, which at the end of the day is going to make your life so much more fulfilling and passionate, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, if there's organizations that are close to your heart or if you go to church, you know, hey, that takes money to run. And at the end of the day, there's nothing wrong with making a lot of money. I no. have uh, friends, business owners, acquaintances that make a ton of money, and I will say they, they aren't giving it back. And they're able to make an impact on the things that are important to them. I think that's what it's all about. One thousand percent. You know, and like to go off of that, you know, like there's the Bradleys of the world and the John C. Maxwells and the David Meltzers who make a lot of money. You know, read from them for sure. Like there's a lot of great intel and a lot of cool little nuggets from what they have to offer. But then on like the passion side, like I do play-by-play -play commentary. There's not a lot of money in it. Podcasting, unless you're one of the upper echelon, Joe Rogan, Howard Stern, Pat McAfee's of the world, you're not making great money early on either. Mm -hmm. You know, so you got to keep growing that and use other things to kind of, you know, finance finance the things you want to do. But you know, like there's like Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters. You know, he he wrote a book called The Storyteller. Everything that he's gone through in his life passionate stuff you know like things that really set your soul on fire and make you want to live but at the same time like am i going to make money doing this not at first you know yeah. and you gotta you gotta put your ego aside and you know take those gigs like like i said to monetize and keep your finances in order so that you can continue to do the things you're passionate about and once you're able to monetize those things and grow those things you'll be like okay like i'm glad i went through all those experiences you gotta, again like if you if you want to be, uh, you know, an athlete, or if you want to be a video editor, if you want to be a podcaster, you know, and there's not opportunities coming your way, take a job doing something that you don't like just to make the money, and then continue to work. You know, like they say, like nine to five is your job, but your five to nine is your passion. Yep. You know, in the early years, early twenties, even thirties, getting there, it's difficult. But when you come out the other side, I'm hoping one day we can look back and have, you know, the 800th podcast here. Yeah. in this office and look back and be like, yep, yeah. everything I said back in the day eight years ago, it paid off. That's it. Well, and that's what it's all about. It's finding something you're passionate about. It's what my dad told me when I was young. He said, find something you love to do, learn to make money with it. But sometimes your passion doesn't always pay a lot. So yeah, you get a job to keep that going. You know, I got a family to support it. But like, then you find something you're passionate about and eventually it'll grow and it'll get to that point. But you got, there's always that proving ground in life. Uh, that usually takes a lot harder work than people anticipate. Yeah. And, but when you come out the other side, just like, you know, Andy uh, from Shawshank yes. Redemption, he's glad he went through the, the river of crap. That's right. Came out, say Wataneo, Morgan Freeman, it was all good, right? So, uh, yeah, it's all about just pursuing your passion, understanding that it's not all about money, but money will come later. Yeah, I think the old Vince McMahon quote was, you have to learn to eat shit and enjoy the taste. Yeah, that's, I love that. Yeah, now Vince McMahon, he's one of the greatest business minds uh, really in the entertainment world. I can't think of anybody that would supersede him because he grew something that was so small into, I mean, a global organization. I know you're a big wrestling fan. Yeah, huge. WrestleMania next Sunday. WrestleMania 38, man. I mean, it, it's unbelievable. I mean, the, he literally did his first interview in 15 years on the Pat McAfee show a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And was just basically like, yeah, there's a lot of people out there that think I'm an asshole. And then he just went like, maybe it's true. I don't know. Like, I, I, I do what I love. You know, like, I, I don't focus on other people. Like, I don't focus. Like, he focuses on giving his audience the best possible experience that they can possibly have. But he's like, I make 
big decisions every day. I don't have time to listen to Twitter. I don't have time to listen to people, the naysayers, the haters. Like, you got to block all that out or else it's just going to eat you alive. And that's such a good success principle, the definite chief aim. You got to know what you want and then get laser focused on it. And then everything else can just kind of go away. And when you do that, you create something like he's created. But it took him, shoot, it took him 40 years to get to this point where he's at. Took him 10 years to have like to get to the Hulk Hogan days, uh, and then like that's what kind of was the rise of the WWF at the time, and then what's transpired having their own network on TV, it's just it's insane. I mean, for that you know the amount of athletic fortitude and discipline you have to do to be a professional wrestler, let alone a WWE superstar, it's it's unbelievable what these guys are doing to their bodies, you know, the risks that they're taking. You know, everybody says, like, well, it's fake. It's not really. Like, these are real-life human beings jumping off real ladders onto a wooden canvas where they have the opportunity to break every bone in their body. Right. It's choreographed. It is not yeah. fake. I mean, I wouldn't do any of that. There's no. zero chance I'm uh, jumping off a turnbuckle, doing a backflip, and trying to do a moonsault on somebody. That's just not something... I'm going to do. Like, just imagine trying to grow that back in the 70s and 80s, where, like, you have to find all of these people. And granted, there's hundreds and thousands of them now, but back in the day, you have to find those people who have the dedication and the heart to do this to themselves and their bodies and come out the other side and get over with a million fans, you know? That, that, that's not easy at all. You, you got to talk. You got to wrestle. You got to be able to tell a story with your wrestling. You know, it's a soap opera with wrestling as, you know, the backdrop to it. Yep. And that, that's a difficult thing for a lot of these guys. Like, John Cena perfected it. He, he grabbed that imaginary brass ring and he ran with it. Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, today, Roman Reigns is phenomenal. But there are very few people who get to that, you know, upper echelon of the mountain mm -hmm. and, you know, just commend an audience with like their, not only their character, but their real life personality mixed in. And it goes back to exactly what we were talking about with passion, right? And not making money. A lot of these guys have the passion. They make no money yeah. in the beginning of their career. Yeah. It's not until they literally crack into the WWE and they start get or, or some of the other organizations, but they're on TV, they're getting some limelight. Before that, they're hardly getting paid. No, no, even today, like, like I said, the Brock Lesnar's, the Roman Reigns, the Randy Orton's, the John Cena's, they're the ones getting paid millions. There's still guys who are there seven days a week doing Monday Night Raw, Friday Night SmackDown, NXT, uh, house shows they do that aren't televised every night, making you know decent money, but not that type of money. Maybe like upwards of like 100, 2,000, 300K a year. Yeah. For, for what they're doing with the time that they're putting in, that's exhausting, man. Absolutely. And you got to get through all that. That's very difficult. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, their days are 16 to 18-hour days. I've, I've heard uh, Triple H, he was doing an interview on Ed Milet's podcast, and Ed was talking about his travel schedule. He traveled 300, I think it was 360 days, yeah. 365-day a year. That's insane. Like he barely saw, or his family had to travel with him, but he was always working, and that's just what it takes. And now he runs the organization. Yeah, well, he's Vince, married but. into the McMahon family now, married Stephanie McMahon, the daughter of Vince McMahon. So, like, he's in it, you know? Yeah. Like, he's stuck now. Like, if you want to back out, he can. Shout out to Triple H, just announced his uh, retirement today from professional wrestling. Mm. Will never step foot inside the squared circle again. Had, like, a heart injury, uh, had heart surgery this year, and I guess he's not allowed to compete anymore. The bummer. Well, he was a great. I mean, one of the best. Yeah. The game, man. Yep. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, uh, where can people find you on social media? You could find me at I am Jack O'Hara at 
I am Jack O'Hara on Instagram, Twitter. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn just as Jack O'Hara. And you can follow our YouTube channel um, at The O Show with Jack O'Hara. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for coming in today. Hey, guys, if you enjoyed this, make sure to like, leave a comment for Jack. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.